Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James here, and this week we have our first ever panel episode, and I am dreading it already. My guests have been mischievous in pre-show. You know, we've had technical issues. I do have coffee. It's 11 o'clock at night right now, and I am incredibly tired. But we are going to be talking about uh, a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and many of yours, I know, we're going to be talking about the Mac. Windows users, you can stop listening now if you want to. But if you want to be educated and learn a good platform, you know, come on over. All right. Let me introduce my panel. And I'm going to go in order sort of of who's been on the show before, which is two of our guests. And then we'll introduce our newbie. Would you please welcome back, first of all, Dan Vincent from Usertopia. No, Userlandia. There you go. You got it. (laughs) Although Usertopia, that's a good one. I'm... You should you should keep that one in your back pocket uh, just in case. Like you know, I, I will I will allow it. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And and I have to say thank you very much to Dan for actually helping to partially organize this episode. Yeah, for oh, actually geez. like contacting <laughs> um, our new guest. But before we go introduce our new guest, returning after only a few weeks, and I, honestly, I don't know why. But please welcome back Sean from Action Retro. Hello, happy to be back. Uh, ready to talk about installing Linux on old Macs. That's that's what we're talking about today, right? Right. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and our brand new guest. You've probably seen his YouTube channel. You've you, probably. Wait, hang on. I'm getting a message. Hang on. Well, I get. Hang on. I get a message likely. from production staff. Nobody. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, right. That's why we're going. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve from Mac 84 TV. I, I feel so welcome already. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem at all. It's really great to have you. And before we get started, I'll kind of get Steve as our new guest. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe so that um, everyone can get scared and, and ready. <laughs> well, I, I got into the Macintosh game very early because my dad was a graphic designer. And so he brought home a Macintosh 2CX in the summer of 1990. So I think I was like three or four. And I just remember sitting in front of that machine and just playing with uh, drawing programs and, you know, interactive games and stuff like that. And the, the sound of the image writer printer and all this stuff. So that was like really uh, a big experience to me because we didn't really have video games uh, until a little bit later. So the computer was like my outlet. I mean, we had like an old Atari 2600, but the computer was colorful and pretty and stuff like that. So that was really, I guess, the draw for, for me to get into these systems. And it was just like something my family was into and my dad had knowledge of it. So I just tried to absorb all of that. And, uh, uh, 45 years later? No. <laughs> it's uh, just one of these things that still scratches that itch for me. And these things are fun to play around with. So, um, you know, I grew up being the person in elementary school and middle school and high school who was the only Mac user, you know. And uh, my nickname actually was Mac in high school because there were a few Stevens. So I was I was easily just, oh, that's Mac. You know, he's the one who uses the Mac. So, yeah, I, I was a, a group of dorky kids. So it, at least, you know, that helped out. But <laughs> I like the nickname. It's concise and it, it works. Yeah. If, if you go to like the, I think I, I disabled it or unlisted it now, but the first like 
trailer or introduction video for my YouTube channel. Like I was saying my name was Mac and I flubbed that line while I was recording so many times. I'm like, why are you changing your own name, you idiot? It's just like, your name is Steve. Just go with it. I mean, if everyone was a more appropriate name for an Apple YouTuber, it's Steve. Yeah, yeah. I'd, and clearly I did not realize that back in 2017. So I think a lot of us did things in 2017, but we're not proud of. <laughs> I mean, does everybody here have like a alternate? Because uh, I have one. Like people would call me not Mac, but they would call me Max <laughs> because the the nickname was like, and it's for the re- dumbest reason. Back third mm, twenty, yeah, twenty years ago when I had hair, I used to have this like Huey Lewis haircut kind of. And uh, the guys at the office, they would all they would all call me Max because like, oh, how do you? keep all that stuff in your head it's like you're like max headroom you remember that show it's like i, I love max headroom you know 15 minutes into the future or oh, whatever the tagline goes I've, everybody's got to have like a wacky nickname like that i'm sure i sean you guys uh, james i you guys hopefully had a, a wacky nickname well, i'm kind of lucky in that sean is a nice short name already so you know it's, it's kind of hard to, to shorten that down to, to make a nickname Although I did have a lot of wacky hairstyles in high school, so I uh, got some names from there. Yeah, Mohawk. Okay, um, but that was quite a while ago. <laughs> I I can't. I had nicknames, but nothing kind of like exciting. I I mean, I, I got bullied a lot in high school, so I'm not going to repeat half the nicknames I got in high school. But no, only the good ones. Only the good ones. <laughs> only the good ones. Only the good um, ones. Oh, one of my one of my former bosses started calling me Jimbo because he was also <laughs> called James and decided it was too much work to, for us to have two Jameses in the office. So I got known affectionately as Jimbo. Wow. Now you're mostly known as Mr. Wires, right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that was actually one of my nicknames as a kid, Wires, yeah. because I always had wires in this hoodie that I wore. And I, because, you know, when you're, when you're eight years old and you're going to grandma's, you need your Sega Nomad power adapter, the car adapter, your headphones, battery pack, because you never know what'll happen in the 40 minute car ride, you know? So. <laughs> You go to church or something and you just have AC adapters in your pocket. These big bloody things. See, I'm picturing you now walking around with like IDE connectors and SCSI connectors just like hanging out of your pockets. Well, around. you know that's true. Oh, there goes wires. <laughs> oh, you need a, a SCSI 2 Terminator? Well, watch out for yeah. those dongles. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's my arch nemesis, dongles. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? We need Ken. We need Ken. Ken was was invited, but I think he's unfortunately busy because we could have had dongles and then conversion technology meeting in some epic battle of of the stars. <laughs> anyway, I guess that brings us to Steve. Thank you so much, and and Dan. I love I just I love your interjections. All right, before we before we go into sort of main talking mode, I guess. To refresh people's memories, Sean and and Dan, what got you both into a Macintosh? Just in case people haven't listened to your episodes yet um, of the show or haven't you know heard of you before. Well, I don't know why they wouldn't have done. So let's go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Sean. Oh yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. I just okay. No. okay. It's probably more he was like, envious of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I when I was a kid, I was just kind of strangely drawn to them, right? So my first computers as a kid were PCs that 
you know, my parents were very like anti-computer, afraid of computers. So my first computer was a 286. I got it at a flea market, uh, played around with QBasic on that. And I was just always drawn to people who had, you know, cool Macs. And I remember specifically my one friend, his dad had uh, probably some kind of pizza box Mac, but he just was always playing Wolfenstein 3D on that thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know. That's where my obsession started, I think. Awesome. And Dan, what about yourself? I mean, uh, I was not a Apple kid growing up. We had, uh, we had Commodore. Yes. So, uh, yes, you did. Yep. yep. We had a, uh, we had Commodore 64 until 1997. But, uh, <laughs> Apple's, Apple's were our bits in schools. So, I mean, we had Apple twos. And then I do remember the first time that I had used a Macintosh. It was 1994 and it was in our elementary school, even though every classroom had an Apple two. There was the communal Mac, the LC2 with the CD-ROM drive that was on the push cart that got wheeled from classroom to classroom. And, uh, myself and I think one other kid from the fourth grade class, like you guys, you, uh, me and I, I forget her name was, uh, uh, some, some girl in the class. It was like, we think both of you kids might like this computer. So we both got like a one-on-one introduction with a Mac, like how do you use a mouse, how the CDs with the caddies worked, how you turn it on and off, how to use icons and how to use the encyclopedia. And after that, I was like, this is what a computer can be like. It's like, I don't have to type load star comma eight comma one. And what's this mouse and graphics? I, I was, I was shocked. And then, after that, uh, more Macintoshes came to life, uh, LC575s, and then I learned about Power Macs, and I was just, I was hooked. You know, I, from that point, I, I always had a little bit of a, oh, a little bit of affinity towards the Macintosh. I just, just couldn't get away from it. No matter how far away I went, getting IBM PCs at home, the Mac was like, you know, you want one, and, well, we know how that worked out. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. So, and on that note, because, you know, I, I'll be really honest, as many people know, my my Macintosh love didn't really start until probably 2006 when I got my first iMac. It was an Intel iMac. I have said many times when I've had people on my show, I used to hate Apple. I was like, iPods were, no, you're not having an iPod, mum. <laughs> You'll get this Philips horrible hard drive based <laughs> thing with the worst software you could possibly imagine it doesn't and like fit your pocket. but it doesn't fit but your pocket diamond rio oh diamond rio oh what did i had for a while and an admittedly great name for an otherwise mediocre product <laughs> yes i had oh, you had a- the brand names <laughs> <laughs> I, I had i had a uh uh, what was it? A Jam P3 or whatever? This this horrible like kids company Jam J A M. Oh no! They made a digital camera. They made a digital like uh, Wacom tablet, and then they made an MP3 player. Yes, I have all of them, and yes, they were each terrible. This one used an SD card, but it wasn't actually an SD card. It was a, a memory card, multimedia cards. So before like the SD cards are popular, the multimedia card is where it was at. It was 32 whole megabytes of the worst sounding 128K compressed music you could ever find and i was so happy with it <laughs> but you could ever find until people listen to this podcast you mean yes yes, yes. yeah <laughs> wikipedia co- is now melting down yeah and i encode the 64 <laughs> kilobits so there you go uh yeah i had for a while in my quest to not have ipods i had some weird thing from thompson that was this almost like 
big tablet. It wasn't a tablet. It was. It was hard to describe, but it was. It had a TV dock, so I could record TV. Oh. And then I had an. I had a couple of Arcos. I had an Arcos. Couple of the Arcos jukebox products, which were pretty good at the time. But then I got an iPod and fell in love. Got my first Mac, and then just have carried on ever since. So that's me. But what do we? What? collectively and we're starting to sound a bit like the borg here do we think (laughs) (laughs) do we think that it is about the hardware and software on the macintosh you know of any age of that combination that draws people in that makes a mac what it was and what it is today yeah i i think what always drew me to the mac because I really started with that machine. There were other machines at school, but you know, the Mac was what we had at home was just how easy it was and how intuitive it was because in school we had some Macs, but later on there were uh, gateway PCs. And even in middle school, there were still a bunch of Apple twos. And I remember a teacher asking for help to plug in an Apple two. And I had no idea what I was doing. I plugged the mouse in because it was looking for a disc you know, to boot off of and I was like, oh, maybe the mouse will help it. I don't know what I'm doing here. It's just, you know, plugging things in. But the Mac was just so easy. Uh, We had like the launcher set up. So when you would start it up, all the games were just a click away. And even as kids, you could pick up like the user manual for the Macintosh and thumb through it and you could figure out how to do things. I I figured out how to print out stuff in color and all this this crazy stuff that I, I was never taught. But just the nature of that the machine was designed for literally anyone to pick up and use, I think, really spoke to me. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not hard. I could figure that out. And then once I figured that out, it's like, oh, well, dad has Photoshop installed in here. I could draw pictures with this. You know? And it just evolved from there. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. You know, Mac has the hardware and software kind of integrated together and it all works very well together. I mean, I, I think I really started becoming interested in specifically Macs around like the end of 68K and into PowerPC. And I specifically remember like Internet Explorer on Mac and how it just looks so cool compared to how it looked on like, you know, Windows 95, just bland and drab and boring. And just, you know, how much, you know, effort was put into the Mac interface and experience. And, you know, it it felt like it was built with care, whereas Windows felt like it was like an afterthought, like, oh, someone's going to be using this, you know, "Ah, good luck, figure it out on your own. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think that still kind of carries through to today, you know, direct lineage. Yeah, it's always been the argument that, you know, the one thing that we have with Windows PCs is you can do, anything you want with it. And I mean, for the most part, that is largely true. I mean, you can do almost <laughs> anything you want on a, on a Mac these days. But on the other hand, it really is that integration. It is that the argument that a piece of hardware can't do anything without a real software layer behind it. And because Apple controls that full stack, that allows them to do things that you can't otherwise do because you can't guarantee on a Windows machine. It's like, well, you don't really know what kind of hardware you've got, so you can 
sort of say, well, we've got this level of service. It's like thinking about in the 90s, you guys remember multimedia PC specifications? They're like, oh, we have MPC1 and MPC2 and MPC3. Let's say, you know, we define this amount of processor, this peripherals are available and so on and so forth. But they never really got it right. Whereas on the Macintosh, you can say, okay, because we know exactly the kind of hardware we're working with, these are the kind of software experiences that we can that we can do with that. And I'm not saying that Apple is the only one that can do that. I mean, there's plenty of other, you know, devices, gadgets, anything else on the market that can bring those kinds of experiences. But in terms of a mass market, the number of users that Apple manages to pull off you know, nobody else really comes close. And I, I think that's, you know, we, even if Apple screws stuff up and they do repeatedly, I think other than certain Nintendo products, I think that's the closest we are and Sony products too. Sony, I think is the other one where you can really, you can really nail it. They're the, the one example where you can say, yes, this whole stuff generally works together as you would expect it to with all the qualifiers and everything else attached. At least that's that's my idea of of the Mac. At least I think I can agree with that. And you know, even you know, I, recently myself and Jay uh, were in the Microsoft Store in London, and we were looking at some of the Surface laptops. And gotta say, great products. But problem is, Microsoft can't make Windows fit perfectly onto that platform because they still have to support everything else out there. Ironically, it was Windows Phone that Microsoft got the closest to that. It was a, yeah. a product that I feel both unfairly maligned and unfairly cut down in its time. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole I, – I was an iPhone guy from the start, but I recognized what Windows Phone was doing. It's I, I recognize that. Windows Phone was uh, – just to be clear for everyone, uh, because we are obviously talking a little bit retro, we're not talking Windows Mobile or Pocket PC. We are talking Windows Phone 7 and above here. We can talk we- about those if you want. <laughs> oh, I, do you know what? I, I genuinely do want to get a, another panel episode together for early PDAs and smartphones. Mm. Oh, oh <laughs> yes. I'll be there. Okay, cool. I can bring <laughs> up my HP 200LX. It's actually over on the, oh, on the desk oh. over there. And a, nice. and a Philips Uber, Velo. Uber Palm Trio user here. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have a stack of Palm Pilots in a in a container that just keeps growing in size. I've been trying to write this episode about uh, last winter. I think I found a Palm 5 GPS attachment at the thrift store, and I bought it, and I brought it home. Like, oh, I'll put that on here. And I've, I've gotten it to work, but it's just to see, you know, what was it really like 20 years ago? And oh, it I was can tell a, you – it, my mother bought one. Oh my god! Like, I will. It, I will just. I will just sum it up by saying the amount of memory that the Palm Pilot has is insignificant compared to like the the state you want to put on there because you have to put it on like the counties you want to travel through, not even the entire state. It's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if you had a regular Palm Five and not a VX, a regular Palm Five only had two megs. The VX had eight. And, you know, I, I managed to get it to work and, and everything else. And I was like, oh, I, I should really write about this. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like it was so just how did people 20 years ago put up with that? Well, next time you come to like a VCF East event, just use that and you'll just never arrive. But that'll be part of the experience. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We can we can see, you know, can we navigate with a retro PDA? <laughs> 
I'll bring mine too, and I'll, I might throw it out on the way home. So. <laughs> or use Apple Maps from iOS 6. Ooh, that oh. might actually be worse. You, yeah, you want us to get lost in the Australian bush? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, my favorite one, but speaking of getting lost, pro tip for the what three words developer. Uh, do, do you guys have what three words over mistakes? Doesn't sound familiar. Hmm. I don't think so. Okay, so it it is a British company, and the idea is that they've mapped the entire world into these little blocks of, I think it's a couple of meters squared, and the idea is that any a combination of three words can locate you. Okay, I've vaguely heard of this, but I've never used it. Great idea, right? And we talk about problems in tech. Well, during the queue for the, for the late Queen's funeral... They put out the what three words location for the you know the start of the queue, the end of the queue, as it were, you mm-hmm. know where people could join. Well, the problem is someone obviously uh, at the Department of Culture, Media, Media and Sport m- misheard or mistyped, and at one point the queue was in Leicester, which is several hours north of London. Then it moved to Austria, <laughs> and then to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Oh, that sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Apple Maps and old... Because I had a... This is a bit off tangent. I had a, I had a HTC... I think it was a HTC Artemis, which had, like, Copilot Live on it or something like that. That was my first proper smartphone type thing. Anyway, that's completely beside the point. Um, no, no, that's what we do best. I had I, I got a secondhand libretto like two years ago that had a Street Finder software on there with a, a GPS dongle taped onto the back of it. So. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's what my uncle did 20 years ago. I had a laptop full of the – when they went in the middle of, the, of nowhere, they had a serial GPS attached to the laptop with this like topographical yes. map software. So just so they could say, okay, they can't give you directions, but at least you know where you are on the map. Well, Dan, that's what we're going to do. We're going to place you in the middle of the United States with an old Palm Pilot, that software, and uh, some <laughs> other horrible thing, and you're going to try and find your way home within 24 hours. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's the reality show I'd watch. Oh, yeah. 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 I'll take you that know, I'm, I'm sensing a media empire growing here. <laughs> Today. He's running out of space. <laughs> <laughs> Today on Retro Survivors. That's a good, that's a good one, Sean. I love it. I love it. But what what but what's next? Tech Moan having to manage on like a piano roller type thing. <laughs> okay. Anything right. he does I'd watch. Oh that, this is true. This is true. Or, or Ravi ha- Ravi Abbott having to DJ on an abacus. Because <laughs> he could. That's These okay. are all great ideas. This is a great idea. Yeah. It could be a percussion section. Sure, why not? Okay. All right. Don't make me sing. <laughs> No, please don't, please. No, my, my audio gear can't handle it. Um, I got disconnected from the podcast. Wait, how do I get back on? <laughs> He's don't. recording on one of those wire recorders. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the Mac, folks. Back to Mac, which I believe was a title of an old, uh, a very old. It was a remote October. access feature. Back to the Mac. Yes. Back to your Mac, specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I used that like twice. <laughs> yeah, I used it like a couple of times when I actually had two Macs. And yeah, is that dead? It, it, that is dead now, isn't oh, it? it is, D-E-D yeah, dead? It's, it used to work okay, but you had to have like 
every single undocumented port open in your router and port oh, forwarding. Oh. And, you know, of course, your router sneezes and then your, your IP address changes and none of it worked. So, yeah, that was fun trying to set up and explain to relatives. It could be worse. It could be Nintendo advising everyone to set up a port forward for the switches <laughs> on every port. Well, yes, I will open every port from 0 to 65535. <laughs> Surely nothing bad will happen from this. My switch is on fire. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but you know we joke, but the Mac. It, one of the things I loved about the Mac back, you know, we talked about PDS. I loved how well my Palm actually worked with my Mac. Did, was oh, it? I think, yeah, yeah, there I think. Mm. I use that heavily. I had my contacts on my Palm Pilot and my iPod because, of course, because I'm out and about and I don't have my Palm Pilot on me, I can use my my scroll wheel, the physical scroll wheel on the first gen iPod to find my contacts and do nothing with them. <laughs> yeah, I, I still love the fact. I still loved the concept that Steve, uh, not you, Steve, but Steve Jobs showed. I'll take the credit. Oh, sure, fine. You know, but he showed. You know, when they said, "Oh, this is what an iPhone people think an iPhone might look like," it was an iPod with a rotary dial. It was on the rumor sites <laughs> for years. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. So I think it really is that, that combination. Of, even today, the stuff that I can do on the Mac, that yes, I could do on Windows, but it's just smooth. I mean, I always, and it's what we talked about on our last episode, Dan, is that silly thing of being able to just preview a PDF without any additional software on the Mac. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Even in Windows 10, you still can't do that. Edge can, Edge can do it now. Edge can show you PDFs and everything else, but you still can't do it with just a, they've got that preview pane, but it's not as good as hitting the space bar and getting quick look. Ask your parents what's, what Edge is and they won't have any understanding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he is, he is correct. You mean IE6? You know, no. Oh, don't, don't stop me on IE6, please. Please don't go down that road. All right, I'm going to move as swiftly along into... Now, I'm going to be, again, up front, I don't have a, any sort of Mac collection beyond this iMac. Uh, that's not technically true. I have a de- disassembled 2011, 27-inch iMac under my bed, which I'm looking to sell for parts right now. Uh, so if anybody wants a... Um, a logic board complete with processor and graphics card for me, 2011, 27-inch iMac. Please do reach out at podcast at crosswires.net, and I'll do you an amazing deal. You'll have to come <laughs> and pick it up. Um, <laughs> Extra dust bunnies. It's all. It's, it's properly boxed up. It's all sealed. We've like we've wrapped it in proper like bubble wrap and everything to make sure it's looked after, and it, hopefully it survive the move. But... Let's talk a little... You're really selling it here. I really am selling this well, aren't I? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Mac collections. Who... Hands up. Who wants to go first? After we were... uh, Ladies and gentlemen, after a short technical hitch, we are back. Mac collections. Who wants to start the ball rolling? The mouse ball rolling, that is. Well, who has the biggest one is the question. Not me. Whoever has the biggest one goes first, I think. You have to describe each one in detail, each computer. Hold on, let me let me get this fifty page stack from my image writer that I printed out last week and we'll we'll update this as we go across. Oh, Item number one, column two is <laughs> Well, Sean's catching up to me, but um all right, I have an excuse though, because my dad was into these machines too, so we had equal sickness and it was like kind of how you know we bonded. Um and the first like second hand computer was the the machine that 
my family had, which was the 2CX. And so when that became too slow to do Photoshop and stuff, his he got a secondhand machine from his company because, you know, graphic design people, they need to use the latest and greatest. And, you know, whatever was not good enough for them was fine for kids and games and stuff. But, you know, growing up primarily in a world that was Windows focused, anything that was Macintosh to me was like special because you'd go into a store and there was never any Mac software. It was always like the hybrid disks that was like, okay, it also could work with a Mac, but it's for PC too. And so it was very rare to find software. And so anytime that we went to flea markets, which my dad was also into, uh, and there was anything Apple related, it was usually pretty cheap because nobody wanted anything to do with it. And so my collection amassed pretty quickly you know, when I was, oh, geez, probably like 12 or 13, you know, I, I saved some money from birthdays or holidays or something, and nobody wanted any of this stuff. So I think one of my first purchases was a Macintosh 512K with the carry bag and the ImageWriter printer, but the deal was that I had to take everything for $20. I couldn't leave anything on the table. <laughs> and that was, that was you know, a great thing for me to play around with, but I had no idea about, you know, these older machines. So I'd go to the library and get books and, and read about them. Uh, and then I had Mac classic and then I had, uh, geez, some PowerBook duos and it just kept going from there because, you know, as a kid, you look at these machines and you don't understand, at least I didn't, the difference between them. It's just, Oh, that one looks different. Or, Oh, that one has a different name or that has different numbers. So that number is higher than the other. So this one must be better, but you know, <laughs> Apple's marketing was all over the place as we know. So, you know, a 7,300 is not exactly better than a 7,200 per se, if you know, you're paying that for it or whatever. But, um, long story short in middle school and high school, um, there were these, other people that I found who were also geeky and they turned me on to these uh, events that were like these computer shows that they would have in these um, like football field sized parking lots in places. And it was like a huge swap meet. And I keep telling people the, the most of my machines I collected in that method, you know, when I was in high school, nobody wanted any of this stuff. And they actually had signs at the door when you would enter that, like, this is not a Mac show. We do not sell Mac software. We do not sell Mac hardware. Like, don't expect compatibility. And it was just like, okay, here's a color classic for $40 with the mystic board in the Apple service box. Here's a Newton for $20 because the guy doesn't know how to turn it on. And <laughs> it was like a scavenger hunt. I loved it because I had two friends and they were all PC people, but you know, they would say, Hey, that has an Apple logo on it. Oh, it's a boxed quick take camera. Yeah, I'll take that. And you know, it just amassed into this collection of machines. And, um, you know, I actually forgot I had a lot of these systems because, uh, my parents had a, a summer place that they got in the early two thousands. And, we moved a lot of the stuff to the garage and I completely forgot about it. And sure enough, uh, like 2016, I took a drive up to my parents' place and uh, my dad goes, Oh, you have some computers in the garage. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I opened the garage and there's like 40 machines just <laughs> looking right at me. This whole, <laughs> this whole wave of beige, just like dangling on this poor metal shelf that was hanging on for dear life. You know, every, every, you know, desktop, 601 and 603 power mac was there and i'm like oh i thought i sold all of these so that's sort of you know where the where the collection started from and uh it's unfortunately gotten worse from there my wife is a saint for putting up with me but uh yeah um it's dangerous to have a basement and it's also dangerous to have a garage but 
it's interesting because nobody ever wanted this stuff back in the day. So I, I was like happy to grab whatever I could for very reasonable prices. And if I was starting today, I wouldn't be able to have like a 10th of what I do now because of how crazy these things are. But yeah, so my collection is now, you know, fairly complete of the systems I want. Like if someone has like a 20th anniversary Mac, I won't say no to it, but I'm not like actively seeking it, but I'm getting weird things like, Image writer LQs, <laughs> and as, as Sean is panning to his beautiful Tam there, uh, but like I, I'm interested in weird crap, like uh, you know CD drives and peripherals and accessories that you saw of in magazines, but you didn't know what they were, and now you know you find them new, boxed sometimes for dirt cheap. But yeah, that's sort of my journey. I'm I'm always looking at weird stuff, uh, software mostly to archive because all those drivers and stuff online is what helps me tinker around with this stuff to today. So whenever I find a disc or a manual, I try and scan it and put it on archive.org or Macintosh card. And that's sort of what I do other than cursing at machines while I do live streams, but that's about it. <laughs> nice. well, that's the best part of your streams. Yes. Yeah. The, I bite my tongue because my nieces and nephews watch, but um, yeah, sometimes you get an expletive deleted in there when I drop something on my toe. <laughs> oh, expletive deleted. I, I probably have the least impressive collection of anyone here, although it is, it is interesting to me. I use the problem is, is I've gone through several phases where I've collected some things and then I've winnowed things down. I mean, I've never, I haven't owned a house and I lived in a very small places for very many years. So I couldn't really like keep hold of a lot of stuff. So I always had to, you know, things came and went. And there were certainly things I regretted selling over the years, like my original titanium G4, you know, when I, when I sold that one, I mean, I loved that computer. I mean, I still have an important piece of it, but, uh, I wound up getting another titanium later, uh, because, you know, that's just how these things go. The first vintage computer I bought or acquired was actually 20 years ago. It was a IBM PS2. That was, uh, I, I took away from school at the time because I still had my Commodore at home. And, uh, our, one of my technology teachers was like, well, we've got this stuff that's going to e-waste. And it's like, you know, you're kind of interested in that stuff. And th this still works. You know, it's a PC. It can kind of run Windows. You know, you can, you know, how he looked the other way while, uh, while I brought it home, uh, and there were other computers that came and went over the years, but I want to say it was about five or six years ago that I started getting back in, really getting back into collecting things again. Um, the most, I'm trying to think of like the interesting things. I mean, I think the most interesting thing that's in the collection is actually not a Mac at all. It's a 2GS that I acquired from this nice, lovely old couple that were down in, uh, down on the South shore of Massachusetts. And the, you know, the listing was 2GS, $200 monitor, you know, drives, you know, must go. And the, the pictures didn't reveal much, but I got there like, oh yes, by the way, you need to take our entire Apple II collection with you. And uh, just like, <laughs> I've, I've posted pictures of it elsewhere, but just like boxes, like thousands, literally thousands of five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Um, and so of course you're like, oh, twist my arm. Well, you know. <laughs> you know uh, uh, a bunch of a complete collection of uh, insider magazines. Uh, oh, wow. Just lots nice. of weird and interesting things. And to me, it's like that stuff is like somebody who cares more about the early Apple II would care about that stuff. So I wound up 
that's part of what this hobby is, is like trying to find this stuff, good homes, Mm -hmm. because like there are things that I say, okay, that's interesting. Not necessarily for me, but it's still interesting. So, you know, I wound up getting those to other places. Then the two GS, I mean, the thing was maxed out. It had a a zip GS plus. It had uh, four, actually, no, five megs of RAM because it had the one meg of RAM on the board and the four meg expansion card. Two hard drives, one of which actually still worked. Hopefully, now that I've got the Blue Scuzzy set up, I can finally archive that drive and get it out of my house. And then Macs. I mean, there's one Mac that I, I've been working on recently that I'll, I think I'll save for later. But like, I've got my share of G4s, G3s. I've got laptops. I've got original power books. I've got iBooks. I've got an E-Mate. My, my only Newton, which is fine because I, I have a soft spot for the E-Mate, you know, Sun machines. For me, it's a case of I'm not going crazy spending money on stuff. You know, it's a, if there's something interesting and I can get a deal and I can say, is there actually a place for this in my collection? Because I'm sure you guys all know we can get our, we can talk ourselves into stuff and it gets <laughs> no, really dangerous. I mean, we don't enable each other at no, all. No, we don't right, at Sean? all. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and, and Dan, you, you definitely have not, you know, given or sold machines to me at, at good prices just to get them out of your home. Either. I mean, <laughs> Like I say, the way I view it is that, you know, you share and share alike and you help people out and, you know, like that 8100 with the G3 card was an interesting machine, but it was more of a, okay, it had some stuff I needed, but I had, you know, otherwise it didn't fit a place. I'm like, well, I know somebody who could use an AA G3 upgrade card with an 8100. So it's like that went off to Steve and I've had other stuff like that I've, you know, given away. And that's, I think we're really what it's about is like, you have it in your collection. If it's something you really want, you hang on to it. Otherwise, you know, part of the, the social contract of this hobby, I believe is trying to find the appropriate homes for things. I mean, yeah, that's just my point of view though. I'm, I'm sure other people, uh, not necessarily in this chat, but I'm sure other, other people elsewhere, you know, might have different ideas. And Sean, what about yourself? Uh, you know, obviously you, we know from your channel, you do weird and wonderful things to your Mac. To, to <laughs> Unholy say, things. Well, I wasn't yeah. going to say that, but yes, just, you know, no, no floppy disks should be put under that much strain. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. When I was younger, I mean, I, I was always kind of obsessed with, uh, you know, old computers or cheap computers or, you know, getting computers to do things they weren't meant to do. So, like in high school, I used to drive around on trash day at like fancy neighborhoods and pick up computers that people were throwing out. And I got some of my first Macs that way. Um, and, you know, I'd go to thrift shops and, you know, I, I got a G3 blue and white at a thrift shop, you know, well after its useful life. But I, I decided I'm going to make this my, my computer. I'm just going to see how much I can upgrade it. Can I just use this every day? I did the same thing with a 386 laptop and like, 2000 nice you know can i just use aol instant messenger on this thing and like use it like a normal computer and i could do one aim window at a time you know if somebody else chatted me the house of cards yeah i'd have to restart the computer (laughs) (laughs) this this all sounds like you know our similar stories we're telling our psychiatrist five years from now when (laughs) there's no room for us to walk in our homes (laughs) so where did it all start (laughs) yeah so that just kind of uh continued i guess you know over time you know i moved out of my parents house moved into you know tiny houses in the city 
had nowhere to store stuff. So, you know, left a bunch of stuff at my mother's house. You know, my LC575 was there. A couple desktops were there. And then for years, you know, I just lived in small places and didn't have a whole lot of room for stuff. So I had like one or two old computers that I would mess around with. You know, I had a couple compact Macs and, uh, yeah, we just play around with those. Now, fortunately, we've moved to a much larger house. And uh, I don't know what happened, but there's... uh, Stuff everywhere. <laughs> I have a few guesses of how that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think my interest really still lies in you know how far can you upgrade a machine and getting like one interesting example of a machine it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I, if I see a machine that somebody like hacked a bunch of drives into, that's the one I want, right? So here's to the know, crazy ones. Only, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like my only example of a G3 tower, uh, beige tower. It's just a bunch of drives hacked into the front of it. And, uh, you know, that's the perfect one. You know, I can't can't find another one better than that. Yeah, so that's <laughs> where we're at today. Just slowly amassing misfit machines. The island of misfit Max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's why my G3 mini tower growing up, all the faceplates are in immaculate condition. They're, they're each yellow differently, but they're in immaculate <laughs> condition because they were never on the machine. I was always <laughs> putting drives in and out of the darn thing. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty much a Macintosh therapy session. I should be charging, charging <laughs> you guys for this. This is great. No. Uh, Why do I see floppy disks with question marks in my sleep? <laughs> They're always chasing me. When was the first yeah. time you saw the flying toaster? The flying toaster can't <laughs> hurt you anymore. I'm seeing it right now. I'm seeing negative 127 errors. Uh. And how do you terminate a scuzzy again? I mean, with like, extreme prejudice. Like, yeah. <laughs> with voodoo. Now that's what we need therapy. Jeez, <laughs> oh, and and for each of you now, I know your tastes all broadly vary. Do you think there's a point at which you not lose interest in collect in collecting Macs? What would you consider? I know that's too modern for me to collect. I'm not really interested in that machine. Is that the Intel transition, or are we now at a point where some of us early Intel machines? I think, like for example, the the what do we call it the the white plastic oh, the, MacBook. Yeah, the white MacBook. Or the see a black book is a collectible piece. It's yes. always, you always gotta have yeah. a black book in your even if you never turn it on, that that's just a that's something you put on a shelf because it looks nice. Yep. On the other hand, like that's I really think that is the one legitimately collectible Intel machine. Because believe it or not, I mean, even Intel machines that are ten years old can still be useful in a variety of yeah. ways. If a machine is still tries to be modernly useful, that's not a collector's item in my mind. The well, you're also talking about our terminology for useful, which is very <laughs> skewed because we're all a little bit insane. You know, yeah. fair. <laughs> I don't know. One of my favorite machines is my white MacBook with a haiku on it. And uh, yeah, so sort of like an alternate universe MacBook Pro. I mean, we had... Uh, we recently cleared out an old office that I used to be in and we had uh, some old iMacs in there and I wound up taking one of the white core two dual iMacs. That was actually my first iMac that I had at that job back in 2007. So, I mean, that machine has some personal, you know, I, there's a lot of history with that machine, even though I don't think it's been turned on for the past eight years. So, I mean, I, I took it with me and there was another iMac that I took with me as well. That wasn't my machine, but I feel like, 
you know, it could it could have been e-wasted, but I figured, you know, I could at least, you know, bring it to a, you know, swap meet or something. Somebody will take it. And I, I, I tr- struggle with this because it's like the Intel machines are great. They could do a lot of things still. I was using a 2012 Mac Pro up until about six months ago when I got a Mac Studio. But it's one of those things where I don't feel the need to collect all the different variations. I mean, I have a, a few different Mac Pro towers. You can see the, the back of my set in my video that's like half G5s and Mac Pros. And all of them work, but they, they make a, a good weight for the shelf. But it's like I don't feel the need to like go out and buy every or collect every year of Mac Mini or MacBook Pro or anything like that. And I, I think what also is concerning is a lot of them had problems either with mm-hmm. graphics card issues or recalls and stuff like that. So you have to just be very careful of when you're going out and getting these machines because you'll probably end up with one, you know, knowing my luck uh, with an issue. But, you know, I have like a few of the Intel machines. Uh, my newest Intel one is my wife's MacBook. It's not even mine. But, you know, prior to that, it's a like a 2014 or 2015 model. So I, I think right now is the perfect time to scoop up some of those machines. and The, the price is going to go down. Yeah, they are bottoming out. Uh, I mean, you can get a 2012 Mac Mini for like under 100 bucks on eBay if you look hard enough, you know. So I, I don't think it's something I'm actively collecting. But then again, I wouldn't have thought I would be collecting PowerPC machines 20 years ago. So who knows? <laughs> Interesting you say that some of them have issues. I mean, uh, hmm, PowerPC Macs never had issues. I seem to remember owning Titanium PowerBook G4 as my daily machine and the uh yeah the hinge just slowly separated and i super glued it back together and that lasted for a while but uh no ibooks never had video issues and no 5300 batteries ever exploded you're misremembering sean (laughs) (laughs) i mean correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't it an issue with a bunch of nvidia cards in one of the macbook pros that made apple that made apple never use nvidia again pretty much in the in their machines because even to this day they are all well i say to this day any in any x86 marks are amd based graphics correct me if i think that's yeah, yeah that's, that's true yeah, no it's not yeah. just that but also i have a feeling that the people uh, ex- the executive clashing between apple executives and jensen wong who i'm i'm sure you put these two people in a room it's like we'd all just go fight 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 but <laughs> it is not is not productive for uh <laughs> building a computer unfortunately fun story a, a black book was needing my first apple product we um i bought one with my dad's credit card with his consent through ebay <laughs> and it never showed up someone had scammed us oh so i missed out on that black book a p- 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 power book if you if <laughs> I, <laughs> I still think about that. yes if you really want a, a black book, James, I have it's a core duo, not even a core two duo. Oh, wow, it's a core duo. I don't think it works. It was given to me by a uh, e waste person. But if you really want one, just on your shelf, we could talk. We could, uh, apart from the shipping, would cost an absolute fortune. I would also be very I mean, <laughs> just, just send me. Just send me the money in advance. It'll be fine. It may or may not arrive. <laughs> but that's another thing is like those the white polycarbonate MacBooks and the black books is like those casings are super, super fragile. It's like we talk about how brittle the plastics in our Beige Max are. These ones are just as bad. Like I had one that was held together by popsicle sticks and blue tape. <laughs> Sean, have you been selling your Macs again? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I had a, a black MacBook that had the top case replaced. And within a, a week of that happening, uh, I got a, dif- a different machine. So it's like I closed that and put it in my drawer and it's still right here. So I'm, I'm afraid <laughs> to open it up. But I think the, the top case is in pretty good shape. Nice. I, I remember getting a, so a friend of mine sold me and a few other friends a white plastic MacBook for, and we were buying it for our friend as a birthday present. Mm-hmm. He said, I'll give you a really good deal on it because I spilled beer on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I got it repaired. It still cost us a lot less of getting a new machine. And I, my friend, I know valued that machine until he upgraded to a 2011 MacBook Air, one of the 11 inch MacBook Airs. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. I love those. Those might be collectible someday too. Yeah. No, any of the yeah, first. It's, it's hard to tell. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, any of the first, I guess the first run of a particular line. I mean, can you see the 12 inch MacBook, MacBook adorables ever being oh, collectible? No. No, give it, no, no give it, uh, <laughs> the people who love those machines, they love them. It's like, you cannot separate them. And ironically, they would be perfect machines today with an M1 in them. Oh, they would. I I was surprised. That's what I was hoping we would see, is a revival of that form factor with an M1. I mean, if you fly in an airplane a lot, I'm sure you'll like it, but it's not for me. (laughs) I had one, and but it was a secondary machine to that 2011-inch. 2011-inch? That's a big (laughs) map. Wow, that's a big (laughs) map. 27-inch. Sorry. All right, all right, all right. So we talked a little bit about some of Apple's problems, and there's one topic we probably can't get away from, and that is, there's various names from it, but we'll we'll call it the dark years or the the, Apple's time between jobs. (laughs) I like that. I think that's their best years. I like to call it the beleaguered era because that's what that seemed to be the go-to word that everybody in the press used to describe Apple from the years of 1991 to 1996. And even, it even kind of had that transition in 97 and 98 when they, the iMac is the official end of the beleaguered era. That's when things turned around. I don't know. I'm a performer fan. (laughs) Yeah, I, I like all these these those weird because they made a lot of interesting decisions. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, yeah. uh, I mean, the whole Macintosh clone thing, which I'm a huge fan of. I'm, I'm doing a video series on that. I mean, that stuff was like, what? <laughs> they would never do that today. And I just, I just love like these crazy things that they came came up with, and uh, these things that were like sensationalized in Mac Attic magazine. You would read about Open Dock and uh, the next version of Mac OS, and it was going to be Mac OS eight and this and that. And like half of the things you read never actually came out, or if they did, they were a mere shadow of what they were supposed to be. So it was, it was a very exciting time because you know Apple is so secret and everything mm. but you know i think everyone was sort of rooting for them to be better that you know all of the mac magazines or at least the editors that were more favorable to apple they were like no no it's gonna be fine they're gonna do this it's gonna be great and this happens and then yeah it's you look back at some of those magazines like you're reading an old one on archive.org or something and you're like oh wow i want to see this product or this upgrade when it comes out and then it's like oh wait that never happened if only they knew <laughs> Yeah, there's something about rooting for the underdog. I think yes, and Apple yeah. was the underdog at the time. Not anymore. <laughs> no, and they, you know, is it fair to say there were times where the Power PC really did wipe the floor with Intel machines? Oh, sure. I mean, it, it's interesting because I never had one when they were new. 
but the Power Mac G5, uh, I've, I've talked to a few of our friends and a mutual friend of ours, Bruce, uh, he has a, a G5 and he used to do a lot of uh, 3D software and graphic stuff. And he was just telling us how like the rendering time was just like astronomically different when this G5 came out. Because you have to think 64-bit processor, like world's first type thing here. And it just wiped the floor with everything. And there was, you know, a, a great deal of power with that system. Mm. But, you know, Apple was trying to go in a different direction. They couldn't put a G5 in a in their notebook computer. So, you know, it was something where they had to make a decision to change. But, I mean, those G5 systems, as Sean knows, because he's he's tortured the heck out of those poor things, um, you know, they, they could deal with a lot of heavy lifting of graphics and video and multimedia and stuff like that and you know sometimes they get looked back on like oh yeah it's g5 it was terrible it overheated it, it leaked it that's like no you're not remembering it correctly <laughs> like those are great machines they were stupid expensive uh, i mean i could only afford one now when people mistake them as like something else and they're like oh, i want 20 dollars for it and you take it <laughs> and then you hobble five together and maybe it works but you know th- they were pretty damn powerful machines and i think that's why sean was like obsessed with trying to make like cool things happen with that system yeah in some ways you know those were ahead of their time you know the 64 bit and uh you know the software being tied to the hardware like that you know integrated like that you know they really did feel fast i think you know your example with bruce i think he said he replaced like a whole rendering farm with just like a g5 wow. <laughs> yeah they were they were uh mac clones some of them had dual processors and he he just replaced all of them with one g5 that's insane. Yeah. I do remember having fond, fond times, because I wasn't a Mac user at the time, and but I did have a friend who had a... Uh, he had a Performer, and then he had a G4. And I do remember being in awe of his Mac's ability to capture video and edit video a lot faster. Uh, so a friend of mine who will probably never listen to his show, but his brother-in-law does. So Chris... You know which brother-in-law I'm talking about. You've seen this system. You know the stories. So my friend had a very expensive PC editing workstation. And it had a Matrox capture card in it to capture from his VHS video camera, which we had, you know. And he was producing, like five minute clips for youth events were 900 and something megabytes in size because he he could never figure out video compression. And then we had the whole thing of, Oh, it won't play back on the laptop that's connected to the projector, or we don't have enough storage space or something like that. Whereas the Max, I I just remember my friend, Oh, I'll I'll just bring my, my G4 down and it'll just work. And, uh, the number of times I was in in awe of what a a G three iBook could do in terms of video that my Windows laptop at the time could not. The thing that makes the G five interesting is that it's kind of the last gasp of the like non Intel workstation hegemony that we had during the nineties. The you know the silicon graphics. Uh, you know, that sort of thing where it's like, well, you have PCs and then you have something that's above a PC that can do like really cool stuff that costs a lot more money. And those machines were all, those architectures were all dying. You know, Solaris hung on for a little longer, but you know, it was dying. Uh, MIPS dying, like all this, you know, these risk workstations, PA risk was dying. All this stuff was kind of going away. 
And you could see that somebody's saying, no, this G5 with all this stuff that we're doing with this, this is high performance computing. We're making this statement about high performance computing and about how great it is when you sit down and solve a problem with a solution that's designed for this problem. It's like, and then you realize that, well, while you're going there and huffing and puffing and blowing that house in, you know, Intel and AMD are over there, you know, kind of one-upping each other. And then, oh, here comes uh, NVIDIA and this sort of solution comes in. And you realize just that IBM just doesn't care anymore and they've finally caught up and you sort of have to go back with your tail between your legs and say, all right, we'll finally go to frickin' Intel and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of, we're actually kind of back there now because look, Apple, uh, Apple Silicon slash ARM-based systems on chip with dedicated IP blocks, those are the new argument for that sort of, I don't want to say workstation-y, but saying, okay, we have a problem. We're going to design a solution to solve the problem. Guess we're right, we're right back there again. And truthfully, it's hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll last longer this time. But, uh, I mean, my M1 Max MacBook Pro is probably the best computer I've ever bought. I mean, I have my 5950X workstation with a 3080 Ti right next to it. And honestly, this machine is better than it in most ways, except for one or two. But, you know, it's just amazing how well this thing works. I know this does it while using what? Uh, a tenth of the electricity for most in some cases it can range between one because like that machine can over here can pull out you know seven eight hundred watts if i really let it go this machine at most can pull out 100 and nip at its heels that's bananas yeah i i noticed a decline in my electric bill and the heat in this room <laughs> yes <laughs> i switched from the mac pro to the the mac studio so it is a sizable thing and here's nvidia with this you know 450 watt 4090 that you can turn the power plan down by 40 percent and only lose two percent performance it's like you know, there's uh, Apple is the only company that can put forward that sort of coherent argument in these machines. It's like nobody else really has the ability to do that at the moment. And, you know, that really makes it feel like we're kind of back in those let's kick Intel's ass days, you know, with uh, our power towers and everything else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because you're focusing on the hardware, but Apple does it in such a way where, you know, you, you could be completely oblivious to the hardware and you could get that advantage from just opening up Final Cut or iMovie or something like that. And I think that's how, at least that's how I got started with digital video editing because the iBook G3 that I had, it had FireWire built in and my brother had a DV camcorder and I just plugged it in. I didn't know about processing power or memory or whatever. I was able to import video, edit it and export it back out to tape or, you know, to AV jacks on the television and it, it made that experience of using something that I did not know how to use or could not even fathom of getting to, you know, so much easier because of the marriage of the hardware and the software that Apple did there. And I think no matter what is driving the Macintosh, I think there's that elegance there that they're they're putting their foot forward with. And I think that it's going to be very hard to match that by any other competitor. I know you know, others have tried and Microsoft is trying now with their surface, but I, I think it's very difficult to achieve that because they do set the bar pretty high and they do, you know, withdraw products from being released 
uh, we've all seen rumors and stories of like, oh yeah, this was about to come out, and then they're like, nope, we're not going to do it uh, because they have a very uh, high quality mark. I mean, yeah, some things don't go over the best, but uh, by and large, they do a pretty good job, and that's why I'm still on the Mac today because it lets me get my work done without you know worrying about things as much. Great point, and you know, you hinted there on what you get out of a box of a Mac. Every new Mac comes you can get for free. I, I think I'm right. I mean, you can get the full Apple What Was I Work suite, so numbers, pages, keynote, iMovie, Garage Band, Garage Band, <laughs> Garage Band. I know, I know. <laughs> Do you, does anyone here who's a, remember when Apple used to tout GarageBand as a podcast creation tool? Oh yeah, I I will I will tell you that I, my PC friends had serious envy of GarageBand in high school because it was the coolest app that they saw on the PowerBook that I brought in one day, and all they wanted to do was play around with the loops and everything, and it was just something that was like envious because you did not have that software experience on a PC, at least something that was easy to use as GarageBand at the time. Absolutely. And, you know, and you get, I mean, there was a time where a Mac could, a Mac and a Mac OS 10 machine could work out of a box of exchange when a Windows PC could not, <laughs> which always made me smile. <laughs> and, and in fact, even to this day, the Mac mail experience, <laughs> honestly, the number of users I've supported who are bolted to Outlook because there isn't, I'm obviously overlooking Thunderbird, but out of a box, there isn't anything that's close to as good as Apple Mail. Or am I being yeah. a bit biased? I, I'm happy to hear. I mean, it depends on what your, it depends on what kind of service you're using. Cause like, I mean, I don't believe in, like I don't I, even though I use Gmail because what else are you going to use these days? I just I don't like what Google does in their in their clients. I mean, I still on my Windows machine I still use Thunderbird and I use uh, Mail app on my iPhones and my Macs and stuff. And every few years you always see that there's this new hip email client that's hitting the world, right, guys? It's like oh yeah, this time it's going to be Sparrow. This time it's going to be Inbox. This time it's going to be Mailinator you know, all these different clients that just keep coming and going. And the reality is, is that you think email is easy. It's not. Email is hard. It is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. And the fact that despite all of its flaws, of which there are numerous, the fact that you can draw a straight line from next mail to Apple to mail.app of today and still have it be a largely coherent experience shows just how forward thinking they were 30 something years ago when that came out. Funny you mentioned email as a teaser for everyone. Myself and Jay, just this last week, recorded an interview with Helen Horseman-Allen, the COO of Fastmail. Mm, interesting. <laughs> We're talking all about digital identity. And if you're looking, you said, Dan, what else would you use for your email? I encourage everyone to listen to that episode because okay. Fastmail may well be the answer. I've been looking for reasons to ditch Gmail, so I will, I will give those arguments the time of day. Well, if you subscribe to my uh, image writer pen pal service for only twenty dollars a month, we could we could fax each other things. Uh, do you know? I love that idea. I love that idea of going back to fax. I was, as Sean knows, because it came up in our last episode. I'm a bit of a King of a Hill fan, and there was an episode I was watching today where someone asked for Hank's fax number. And Hank's like, we don't have a fax. I can't do a Hank impression, but we don't have a fax machine. Whoa. We don't have a fax. 
We don't have a fax machine here. <laughs> At AOL.com. Oh, dear. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting completely lost. Let me stick. Okay. It's not our fault at all. No, it's, it's absolutely my fault. I'm, I'm taking full responsibility for this show. You shouldn't. That's very dangerous. Uh, no, that's true. But and I guess that, you know, that does and start to talk about how do we, you know, as, as people who, also for yourselves, as people who've been Apple fans for a bit longer and have obviously collected and seen that history, if we were to give Apple sort of a, a report card style grade right now for how they're doing today, Let's start with Sean. What would your uh, Apple grade be for, for for right now? I don't believe in grades. Everybody gets the same trophy. <laughs> in my oh, no. Yeah. no. Uh, I mean, I, I'm really happy with where Apple is today. You know, it kind of feels like a return to form. Back in uh, PowerPC days, it felt like you were using something special. You know, there's all the people with all the random Intel computers, and you had your PowerPC Mac that had yeah, the advantages of PowerPC. And uh, they switched to Intel, and it felt like, oh, well, now it's just generic, you know, like everything else. But we've kind of come back around to something that has real advantages, and it's, it's different, and it feels special again. Uh, so I really like the direction they're going in. You know, Johnny Ive was a cool guy, but you know, may, maybe he was kind of starting to go in the wrong direction, and it seems like he left, and now all of a sudden, Apple's releasing all of this real quality, really well-thought-out hardware that kind of... You know, I mean, it really feels like that I have the M1 Max MacBook Pro and it really feels like I used to feel using my titanium power book. You mm-hmm. know, it's you know, thick and quality and it feels like quality. Uh, the hinge is better than the tie book. I, I give them a six and a half gold stars out of seven. Okay. Do you know, on the, on the subject of those, the current build quality, Um, when I was in London last week we were with Jay, we went into the Regent Street Apple Store and I had to very, very much keep my credit card away from me at all times <laughs> because I saw the M2 MacBook Air. And yeah, it's obviously got heating problems when you start to use it really high end, but it's not designed as a workstation-based machine. It is... It's an ultra portable. I mean, if you want to make a machine that, uh, you know, everything has its, has its design purpose. And, you know, I mean, if you want to push that machine 100% and throttle, I mean, that's your prerogative, but like, you know, it, it's the same thing. It's like, well, you can go ahead and take a, you know, a reliant Robin and put it on the Autobahn, but he wouldn't recommend doing it. <laughs> You just don't turn too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Dan, what about yourself? Since, since yeah, what would you say right now? For um, I have two grades. Um, one grade would be for hardware. And right now, Apple is making S-tier hardware in terms of the features, the power, the style of things. I think pretty much every hardware product, for the most part, they're nailing it. Now, are they perfect? No. I'm sure there's uh, things that we could argue about um, in particular, even on the M1 Max, you know, 16-inch MacBook Pro, a machine that I dearly love. I, I'm sure I could list several things about it that I think could be improved or tweaked or whatever. But at least today, I think hardware-wise, we're doing extraordinarily well. Software-wise, maybe not so much. This is where I, depending on the particular product, 
I would be more in the C plus to B range, depending on which particular thing. Now, this year's releases I thought were fine, but I, and then there's the whole bit about, you know, the political nature of the app store, which, uh, as people who've listened to me know, I, I don't really like, I mean, I like the app store, but I don't like that it's the only app store. And I don't like that, you know, Apple is essentially judge, jury, and executioner on what the platform could do. It's like the thought experiment I always put forward is if Steve Jobs had control over what software you could run on a next, would we have gotten the original World Wide Web? And I think the answer is no, you know, and I think they came around and, and I'm not saying that the app store is a bad idea. What I'm saying is what was appropriate in 2008 is not appropriate today. And with several minor, in my opinion, changes, they could eliminate 90% of the complaints. The vast majority of people would be happy and it would still be a superlative experience. But unfortunately, they are proving that we we are going to have to take it away from them, I think, which is unfortunate. And I would really hope that it wouldn't come to that. But if it takes the long arm of the law to get Apple to finally get their act together on that front, then maybe that's what it takes. Like I said, and that's not even talking about, oh, Mac OS 10 is fine. Like Mac OS right now is fine. Yes, there's things that could be improved as always, but I, that's what I would give the B, B plus right now. It's the the developer relations and other stuff that, you know, I think is more on the C plus range at the moment. That's just, I, I said we were getting hot takes tonight. So, you know, there's a, a spicy one for you. No, it's it's a very interesting take, and I I think I sit somewhere somewhere in the middle. Personally, I sit somewhere in the middle of that whole app store versus open playing field. Me too. I, I think we would largely agree. You know, it's just they they need to do some tweaks and make some changes. But for the most part, you know, it's like I I can I can understand the various sides of the argument is is what I'm saying. Well, the biggest thing for me has to come down to allowing developers the freedom of choice of payment processing mm-hmm. for in-app subscriptions. Yep. That, for me, is a big deal, particularly on services where, you know, like your Netflix, like your, uh, I was about to say Shopify, Spotify, like small, maybe creator apps, like Patreon, for example. And that's the one that I've brought up is like, at what point does it end? Does Apple come around and start saying, hey, you know, Patreon, you know, we really think that you ought to be giving us a chunk of that money, even though they have nothing. It's like, it's rent seeking. It's landlord behavior. And I am, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. You know, the, the other thing just quickly on that is I, as part of that, Apple need to do more to stop, to really weed out the scam apps. Mm-hmm. They say the app store is safe, but it's not. It's full of junk. Well, okay, safer. let me... Safer. Safer. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, there's so many scam apps, and there's things I don't like. I still feel, uh, personally, I feel more protected on iOS than I would do on Android. Well, the way, the reason why is because it's not the app store that is keeping you safe. It is certs, notarization, a whole bunch of stuff, sandboxing. That's the stuff that actually keeps you for the most part largely safe. The app store is. Yeah, a lot of the behind the scenes. Yeah. That stuff would still be there if the app store wasn't there. 
you know, and there is side loading today. It's just that it's for less than 10,000 people. It's for enterprises and blah, 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 you know, all those caveats, but they could just, you know, ease, ease up the grip. You know, the, t- the tighter you make your grip, the more developers slip through your fingers. You know, it's just, you know, know how to take the L, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. You're you're an Android user. Yeah, I have Android. Although you know, I started out with Apple, and kind of as, as you've been discussing this, I was thinking back to when uh, you know I, I was first on the iPhone. You know, I, I I got the very first iPhone, and it was no App Store, only web apps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yep. kind of the App Store was a a response to everybody saying, you know, I want to put real apps on my phone, and it was kind of amazing at the time because. All of a sudden, I had like, you know, Apple would just give you the tools to develop an app and publish it to this distribution platform, and there was nothing else like it. You know, back then, you know, we wouldn't be having this kind of a conversation because it was all just so new. And I think the problem is they just kind of never really changed with the times. You know, they're still thinking of themselves like they they were back in the day when that was, you know, we're the pl- we're giving you access to this wonderful platform. Why are you complaining? Yeah, it's like they're you're exactly right. They still think it's 2008 when their competition is J2ME carrier locked phones with crappy, you know, it's ah that that's it exactly. You know, the times have changed, you know, but you are you are 100% right on that, Sean. Thanks. <laughs> Hey, here we go. And Steve, what about yourself? Let's. What, what's your What's your scoring for Apple right now? If you're, uh... yeah. So I mean, if it was uh, two to three years ago, uh, my outlook on their hardware would be very bleak, uh, alongside with the software. However, they really turned their hardware around with the M1 and the M2 chips. Uh, I think they have a very strong hardware lineup as as far as the processors go. I'm I'm not uh, sold on every single one of their hardware decisions. I'd love a bigger screen iMac. Uh, I'd love uh, for them to update some of their hardware a bit more frequently, like the Mac Mini. It's uh, almost uh, two years old now. Um and I understand why they're doing these things to push people to buy things like the Mac Studio and their fancy displays and all that stuff. Apple's going to be Apple. But, you know, I think the hardware is much stronger. Uh, their software uh, seems to be in a slightly better place than it once was. Uh, again, I only switched to a modern Mac six months ago, so I was still running macOS Mojave, you know, up until recently. And it was just one of those things where I didn't touch the new software because I didn't have to. And, you know, the new machine I have, I love it. But there are some things in the software I'm just not a fan of, and it's going to take getting used to, and I've been trying to get used to it, but uh, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, we, we all have to upgrade things eventually sometimes, and it's part of the growing pains with that. But I think what is more uh, on my mind, you know, there's sort of this third area that Apple is is going into, and it's related to their app store. It's their, these services. And I've I've had an interesting past with iCloud, to say the least, and Sean's going to roll his eyes. But uh, <laughs> I, I was a, a dot .Mac user. Now it's, you know, and that was, you know, right after iTools, you know, not people. If I say iTools, nobody knows what the heck I'm talking about. I had to say dot .Mac and some people remember. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, an iTools member, went to dot .Mac, paid the $99 a year, 
was a, a mobile me person, then went to iCloud and all this stuff. And uh, I, I take too many photos and videos and uh, filled up my iCloud two terabyte tier. Uh, so I called up Apple and had lovely lengthy conversations with engineers who had no idea what the heck I was doing with so much data on my iCloud. Uh, <laughs> and and just you know really started to think about, yeah, this is a, a very weird problem to have that I have so much data on this service with very little transparency into what is actually there. And in order for me to download photos, I have to use an Apple piece of software. I have to use an apple.com website. Um, And there are limitations because they did not design it for a crazy person like me who will forget to, you know, delete old photos. And I have basically every photo I've taken for the past several years in full 4K quality, you know, on on this (laughs) iCloud thing. And it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, well, um, because you have a photo library of that size, on a brand new Mac studio, your photos library is going to freeze when you open it. And it's going to stay that way for about 30 minutes. Or if you go to sync your iPhone, it's going to act weird, even though it's a brand new phone. You know, these are edge cases, I know, but it's like, okay, things are falling apart here. I know this is not you know designed for a person like me, but there also has to be an escape clause. And that has been paying the extra money for the four terabyte uh, iCloud tier and uh, trying to manually download everything off a of USB 2 from my phone Ouch. and other headaches. So uh, to, to say that I'm happy with Apple from a hardware perspective, I think it's they're doing some good things. I'd love USB-C on the iPhone mm-hmm. so I can get away from USB 2. Um, and I would love uh, for there to be some type of file explorer, even if I have to pay extra for it, or even if it's for developers only for iCloud so I could make sure I have a copy of the data before I delete it from a hardware device because that's the other thing I got a, a secondhand iPad which got filled up immediately because of all of this iCloud business and uh, if I were to delete a video on iCloud on the iPad I would think oh I'm just removing it from the storage of this device no it's going to delete it off of every single one of your devices and the cloud it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just me being stubborn and trying to adapt to these new things. But I, I, I do want to see some more transparency and some options. Uh, you know, I don't know the right way to do it, but I know they could use improvement. I couldn't agree with you more. I know lots of photographers and videographers who are, who just, no, we, we can't use Apple Photos because of that storage limitation. And the other thing is, you know, speaking from a collaborative point of view, when I'm trying to work with, you know, let's say with the three of you on, let's say we do another episode, which you're all welcome back, of course. But let's say we want to share some files beforehand. Well, at the moment, if I use iCloud Drive, it's, I'm sorry, the file sharing works, but it's messy. There's no API into iCloud Drive whatsoever. There's no standard connections. You have to be on some form of Apple device, which means, so, okay, here's a really good example. I would love to be able to back up my entire iCloud Drive to my NAS. Google Drive, I can do that. True NAS has a Google Drive connector that I can just connect and say sync. Backblaze B2 or any S3 compatible storage has that. I think Dropbox, OneDrive all have that. I've never seen any form of connection for iCloud Drive beyond an Apple device or or a Windows PC. Yeah, I would love to have an iCloud Drive plugin for my Synologies. The way I look at iCloud is that I'm a nerd and I recognize that uh, like iCloud would not be sufficient at all for, I mean, 
I have a large camera that takes 42 megapixel raw files that are large mm, and in charge. Megapixels. And, you know, I've, I don't trust, this is not an iCloud thing. I don't trust it because at the end of the day, a cloud is just somebody else's computer. I, do, I only use it for like, oh, actual like offsite. This is what's a replacement for an offsite backup. Uh, it's like to me, I don't have iCloud library turned on on any of my Apple devices because there's not enough grant for me. There's not enough granularity. It's like, OK, well, I would like to have some things that are synced. It's kind of like an all or nothing thing. It's perfect for. You know, some, it's for the medium to the, uh, you know, to the intro or medium level user. But, and this is also a problem sometimes with other Apple products that are not that when you get to certain things, it's like, it's not designed for that. And I mean, I like Steve, I understand that sometimes my needs are special. I have special eyes and they need a special brand, but you know, it, it just would be nice as like, say, Oh, if I could have one thing that just does it all and amazingly makes it all work, then sure. I would use it. And, and I told the same thing to Apple and, uh, they, they, they were, uh, receptive kind of, but they were also the same people that told me, yeah, that shouldn't happen when I lost a file that should have been synced across multiple devices. <laughs> See, what they need to do is they need to make like a iCloud Pro Max Ultra. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. here's does my it, credit card. Just charge it. Does, does anybody remember XServe? Yes. I have uh, too many of them. Right. <laughs> Until a year and a half ago, I was still helping some people who did not in production environments who had not given up their, I mean, when 1068 server came, you know, and then eventually though we had to tell people after 10.8, you know, that was it. Like no more 10.9. We, we didn't make it work, but there's always the one person who huh, I'm glad I'm out of that business. They can't hurt me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even even like this morning, publishing this week's episode, edited on my iPad, put into iCloud Drive so it would sync, so I could upload it. Because uh, Substack, your uh, some reason your web interface sucks on iPad. It's horrible. It's why we're moving. I had to literally uh, create a new folder and then delete it inside that same folder to trigger a sync. That's not an uncommon problem. That's That's been an iCloud slash iDisk problem for 20 freaking years. Oh, we, we got to do the whole iCloud episode because I have iDisk horror stories mm. that have brought me pretty high up in the Apple support chain that are entertaining to remember. I, I think I think we need to look at uh, we need to look there's all these topics genuinely that I want to cover like cloud storage, cloud, you know, cloud photo stuff. And because you know, one of the options is Adobe Creative Cloud, but the way they've just gone recently? No, thank you. I do have uh, three XServes downstairs and an XServe RAID, uh, but turning it on and seeing the kilowatt tell me it's drawing four <laughs> amps at 400 watts uh, makes me think that the little Mac Mini sitting on top of it is probably the way to go. But they look so pretty with the they lights do. on. So. We love blinkies. That's why we're into old computers, because we're full of blinkies. blinkies. Oh, yeah. You cracked it. You cracked it. No more psychology yep. for me. I'm yep. done. The blinkies. We've, we've <laughs> solved the problem. <laughs> That's going to be a t-shirt on James's site. The blue oh, yeah. blinkies. The blinkies. It's like that um, that prop from Star Trek that keeps appearing in every episode, one with the blinking yes. tubes. Yes. <laughs> I'd love one of those in my background. I mean, come on, look, I've got a pulsing like warp core light behind me. Uh, You're halfway there. Yeah, although it does come, it look like there's a warp core going into one part of my head and coming out <laughs> the other, but you know. In one ear, not the oh, other, right? right. 
<laughs> oh, well, that's pretty much my motto. All right. Before we wrap up, I think it's only fair to let everyone say, um, now I did put in show not favorite Max, but I'm going to say favorite Mac singular just to save on. T- Steve's looking incredibly disappointed, Dan, but he's like, no, I want more than one Mac. It's your desert island. Like, don't make me link to it. <laughs> desert island <laughs> Mac. One, I love that's it. That's a good one. Mac All right. have on the desert that's, island. We can get behind that. Okay. All right, all right. So you know what, Steve? Since since you look so disappointed, I'm going to this week on Desert Island Mac. <laughs> we talked to Steve from Mac eighty four, and his Desert Island Mac is. I have sand in my toes, but I have a G three mini tower, and I'm fine. Beige yeah, or I think blue that and would white? Be my Desert Island Mac. Oh no, the mini tower is the beige one, sir. Yes. If, if you would, if you would remember your Apple nomenclature of naming conventions, well, they're technically both mini towers. It's just that one is. Oh yeah, but but I'm I'm referring to the official name. How dare you forget the spec sheets on Apple.com? No, yeah, this is the beige one, uh, and I loved this machine. I got it from MacAllTrades.com ages ago for like two ninety nine. They screwed up and gave me extra memory. I was a kid in the candy store. It has SCSI. It has IDE. You you have floppy drive, you have OS 8, 9, and 10 support, mm-hmm. and I even ran Windows with a PC compatibility card because I was crazy. And, you know, you could customize the heck out of it. You got all those uh, drive bays, you could put a zip drive in there, a DVD drive, and all this stuff, and uh, you had a bunch of I.O. built in, and, you know, if it wasn't for the limitation of three PCI card slots, I know there was a prototype they were working on to give that more expandability, that would be, I think, one of, like, the best machines you could get from that era um but that's one of my favorites it's so capable it's a great bridge machine you could do so much with it and i used it as my photoshop machine for ages even when i still had my ibook clamshell key lime model uh, which is you know would be a runner-up that desktop still got heavy use because it was so capable nice lovely lovely choice of machine i i do remember seeing one of those at my dad's workplace i remember talking to um dan about the range of macs we saw in the newspaper industry it was great fun all right sean hmm. well yeah this is a tough question since we're on a desert island i assume that uh power outlets are at a premium <laughs> so i'm gonna go with the lc575 which i think is my all-time favorite mac i mean it's kind of the the ultimate of the all-in-one Macs, in my opinion, with the Trinitron color, beautiful display. You know, I had one back in the day. I got it at a thrift shop and uh, just loved it. You know, from the moment I turned it on, tried to use it, you know, in like 2000, 2001 is like my main machine <laughs> and uh, had a lot of fun with it that way. It was the first machine I ever played Warcraft on and just, you know, the sound, the feel, the look, you know, the beautiful display. And only one power cord. So, yeah, on the desert island, I think that would come in handy. That would indeed. I have not addressed the power situation yet. I think I'm going to have to get one of those. Um, basically, you're going to have to pedal for your max power. <laughs> no, no, you didn't say that. I'm going to be pedaling until the thing won't boot anymore. <laughs> we will allow solar power. Oh, oh yes. thank goodness. Hang on a second. <laughs> Reese from Control Alt Reese, can you come and do a solar panel? Yep, great, thanks. I, yeah. As long as it'll support a 21 inch CRT, I'm good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I remember having to carry one of those screens. Yeah. My back remembers too. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah 80 pounds imagine. of pure power. Thank you, uh, Sean and Dan. You know, I was thinking about this and it's in my brain. It's like, well, if I could have just one Mac. 
you know, I was thinking, well, you could have a mirrored drive doors G4, you know, dual process. You can run OS 10, you can run OS 9. It would be, it would be pretty good and it would be more performant. But I think the Desert Island Mac is, is much of a pain in the butt as it is with all of the gotchas and caveats. The Desert Island Mac has to be the titanium G4. Can run OS 9, can run OS 10, gets decent enough battery life. Has a very good screen, good processor, good amount of memory. You know, it's got wireless networking, which, you know, you're on the desert island. You know, it's, you want to minimize the wires. And the fact that you can run it on the battery, it's a laptop. It'll take less electricity to run. But it's also very light. You know, it's small, easily, you know, easily portable. And, you know, that, that machine that machine means a lot to me. So I, I think if there was one Mac to have on the desert island, you could just do so much with it. I think the titanium G4 until the hinge breaks at which time you say, no, we had time now. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So I think we have to send Dan away to Desert Island with some GPS software on some antiquated <laughs> devices and this power book and see if he can get home. Uh, on this week's episode of Retro Survivor, can a man escape from a desert island armed with only a titanium power book and a Palm GPS? It, it just zooms into your corpse. You know? <laughs> the, 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 the wind is blowing the sand away from my skull on the desert, on the on the shore. And, and, and there are stones laid out. Yep. The stones are laid out. It just says extension conflict, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Panic. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I, I have to say, I've been thinking about this as well. My Mine's a really tough call. And going on the portability theme... I think it's going to be the 12 inch PowerBook G4. Nice. I got That's one up there. One. There you go. Because I remember a friend of mine having one of these as his daily driver machine. You know, we had it all, had a, like, not a docking station, but he had a dock, like, a, all the cables ready at home and he would have it on a, I think he had his Apple Cinema display. I just remember feeling that, that thing is incredibly tiny, incredibly powerful. It looks better than any tiny Windows laptop I had seen. And until the MacBook Air, the current MacBook Airs, it was still possibly one of the most cute and small-looking Macs that I've ever seen. Yeah, I had, as I said, I had the MacBook 12-inch, and it was a lovely little machine, but it was just too flawed from a from a, yeah. a performance point of view. But the 12-inch PowerBook, yeah, it had no optical drive, and that was, I think, that was a big deal at the time because uh, Macs had one. one. Have one. Has SuperDrive? Oh, did it? The MacBook didn't have one. Yeah. Because, oh, I, I burned many a DVD on, on my 12-inch Yeah, because, I mean, that was 2002. So, you had to have an optical drive. I burned one today on mine. <laughs> Why did I not? F- oh, it was side. Was it Seidler? It was, it was on the side. It was yeah. on the right. Oh, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, that's why. My bad. Apologies to the 12-inch PowerBook fans out there. But- <laughs> Sorry, we all jumped on you there. <laughs> nope, that's fine. That's what I expected. I was expecting to get yelled at more. Your spirit is in the right place. <laughs> Oh no, it's it's also a very modern design. Uh, I actually brought one in uh, for April Fools at my previous job a few years ago, and used that as like my note taking laptop because it had a battery. There was some tape holding the battery together, but you know most people ignore that. But a few people were like, 
oh, what what MacBook is that? And I'm like, oh, it's not a MacBook. And they were like confused because it had the Apple logo on it. And like, huh? What? You know? <laughs> I mean, the thing about the titanium is that you can literally draw a straight line from, I've used that metaphor already today, but the the inflection point of modern laptop slash notebook computers, RIP notebook, is the titanium G4. Every laptop today owes debt to that machine because that was the first machine that was that svelte with those skinny bezels with all the power that you needed that weighed five pounds and change and could fit in a bag and was just everything you needed and nothing you didn't. And everybody else since then has been chasing that design, basically. In some cases, almost quite literally, you see, I remember a bunch of Dells that had a very titanium G4 aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, if anyone's a fan of Stargate Atlantis, the Max that they have in Atlantis, not Max, the Dells that they have in Atlantis, at least the keyboard and the front feel very G4 titanium-ish. And, you know, even today, uh, like, you know, HPs, they're trying to do the same sort of very sleek MacBook look, except they're doing it in cheap and nasty plastic. <laughs> sorry. I'm really sorry, but... Uh, honestly, oh, for me at the moment, at least, only the Lenovo ThinkPads mm. hold. Oh, I mean, I have I'm one right here. Dan. This is my work laptop, and I hate it. It's it's like you can't run Teams on it and do anything else at the same time because this. Thir- I'm sure it loves you too, Dan. It's I I curse that machine every day, and uh, but my livelihood depends on it. It's like I would kill to have a MacBook Air as my work computer. It would blow this machine away because the the cooling is inadequate. The Intel processors are just there's no real GPU, and it's it's awful. And I I mean I have a lot of respect for ThinkPads. I love ThinkPads. But at the end of the day, this particular one, uh, if you're an employer, give your people good laptops. Don't give them junk. <laughs> well, at least don't don't take that to the desert island. I know. We'll find I you not. dead very no. soon. <laughs> the desert island ThinkPad is the is the butterfly. Well, if you have the butterfly keyboard one ThinkPad, uh, the sand wall get in jam up the mechanism. So maybe that's not the the ThinkPad to bring to the desert island. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> oh, one one final thought. Are there any really good competitors in the Windows space to a, a MacBook right now from a build quality? The, the only things that really pop to mind, but Dan's think, but ThinkPad issues aside, are maybe something like the, uh, what do you call it? The, um, the one that Linus is... Um, oh, you mean the framework? Is, uh, a framework laptop, yeah. I mean, the framework is an ideological exercise, and I think it's a reasonable one. Um, I personally, I don't think I would buy one, but I, it's one of those things where like, I can recognize what they're doing, and I don't think I would have any qualms recommending it to somebody. It's just, they're the underdog. It's like, hey, I, I, I want to see you guys, you know, if you can hold this together and keep going great. But it's like, if I had to buy a windows laptop right now, I would get a ThinkPad That is not this one. I'd get one that ha- would have a real GPU. Um, that would, that would be fine. Dell, you know, the XPS mostly reasonable. Yes. Yeah. Um, then you've got like the razor stuff and everything else. It's like, every, they all have a compromise at the end of the day. It's like, you can't, you know, but if you had to buy a windows laptop, can't go wrong with most, ThinkPads. 
just not your ThinkPad. And of course, for sure, the compromises they run Windows. This so, is I mean, true. I'm <laughs> used to Windows. I've, yeah. I mean, Sean is right. Oh uh, yeah. Well, my, my pick for this, and I have one of these lying around still, is the MSI Prestige 15, which has dedicated graphics. And I ran Linux on that thing, and that's what I used to do everything from all my video editing and everything. And that was a great machine, you know, but lots of compromises, you know. It was just the HD display because I wanted the battery life and, uh, you know, the build quality was neat for a Windows computer, but, I mean, it's nothing compared to what Apple puts out. I mean, of course, for Sean, it would have to be a Brother 386 all in <laughs> oh, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all in one, system on the chip powered. You know, look, you wanted something with a system on the chip, you know, just... 386. I do my best writing in Geos. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, Speaking of laptops, uh, Ravi, uh, who I need to re-record the episode because we had some audio issues, but Ravi is working on an Amiga 600 laptop right now. Power to him. All right. Thank you all for being here tonight. Let's uh, get some outros done and then uh, we will let everyone go off and do what they need to do. I need to probably go and um, tidy up some stuff and edit this episode. So uh, let me just pick a random order. Dan, where can people find your content? And thank you for being here. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Kefka Floyd. Um, currently, I've been, I've been trying to expand things because I, I think I've come to the realization as much as I hate video. And I, I mean, I don't hate video, but it's like I'm not a video person. I'm not good at video, but I am... I'm trying. So you can, if you go, regardless if you prefer your content in text or audio or in video form, you can go to userlandia.com to read stuff, to subscribe to the show. You can go to the YouTube channel with the latest two videos are actual videos this time. You know, the, the VCF Midwest report and the trip report that I did for Infinite Loop. They're actual videos now with perhaps funny jokes who knows and you know other videos slash audio content are coming up soon so that's the places where you can find me fantastic sean uh you can find me on that youtube website uh youtube.com slash action retro i'm also on twitter primarily at action retro one because somebody else took action retro and I didn't feel like thinking of something more clever. So we should start. Cool. We should start a, um, a petition. Is it petition.gov movement to get you back <laughs> your, your Twitter <laughs> handle? And Steve, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I know Steve, you you uh, bailed on a meeting for us tonight. So thank you so much. <laughs> I'll hear the wrath of it tomorrow. Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, you could find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Mac 84. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram handle is Mac 84 TV because apparently Mac 84 was taken. So that's where the TV comes from. But if you do a search for Mac 84 TV, it should land you in the right space. Uh, Mac 84.net is my website. You can see some of the shenanigans that go on there. And uh, yeah, I, I love this stuff and it was a pleasure talking to all of you fine folks. So thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. And of course, roll outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can find us on Mastodon at crosswires at masthead.social. 
And if a bird site still somehow miraculously here, you can follow us there as well at CrosswiresMG. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what we heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening. So, so no acapella singing? Ah, oh, damn. I mean, we could try. <laughs> we could try. Yeah. We could do the do-do-do. Do-do-do. Okay. Mana-mana. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Mana-mana. Ba-ba-da-ba. Carry on. All right, all right. So...